Uh, right, we have got a special guest tonight. We're one week out from the season, and it's honestly fantastic to welcome in um, someone that was previously uh, at the Athletic US Today and the Denver Post, the president of the Pro Football Writers, and now with the ringer, uh, a new move. Delighted to welcome in Lindsay Jones back to the show. Back to the show, Lindsay. It's it's awesome to have you on again. Hi, guys. How's it going? So sorry for uh, the delay. It's been a busy day here in Denver, as you guys probably <laughs> have been talking about. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, Look, there, there's there's never a dull moment in this league. And I think the, the news came out at, what, like 7 o'clock Mountain this morning. Uh, yeah, it was, it, it was early here good. local time. Uh, well, first off, even before we get your reaction to that, Lindsay, you've had a very busy off-season, like going to the ringer. Uh, uh, it yeah. must be a very, very busy few weeks. We, we met uh, uh, Roger uh, Roger Sherman in Dublin last weekend for the ringer, and he was full of uh, good fun. So yes, good fun. I'm so glad that you guys got to have Roger on the show. It worked out. Um, I'm sure it worked out great. He's, uh, he's fantastic. I actually have been busy today editing one of his stories. So, yeah, it's been a busy off season. I kind of this moved to the ringer. I'm doing kind of a different job now. I'm editing and so much less writing. I did write an AFC West piece last week. So mostly just to see if I could still write if I hadn't make sure I hadn't forgotten how. Um, but yeah, I'm much more in like a editing managing kind of role now, but I'll still be podcasting. I mean, that's one of the most fun things about the ringer is that we have a ton of podcasts, so I can get my... Well, Ro- Roger was very excited about so. having you as his editor, and I'm, I'm wearing my purple uh, tonight in in his honour for uh, for Northwestern and, and the victory. But we did mention, obviously, the, the Russell Wilson contract, and um, I suppose uh, is... In terms of, of that, Lindsay, um, were like given the way it's it's structured, we were, we talked a little bit about the, the guarantees. Um, it helps having um, the uh, the new owner who's so rich that he can get the commissioner's name wrong and not have to worry about it, right? Yeah, I mean that was really to me. It was never a matter of like, oh no, are they going to get Russell Wilson's deal done? we've known since the trade happened in March that they were going to sign him long-term. They they weren't going to give up all of that draft capital and stuff and have it be a one and out type of deal. It was just, you know, to do a deal of that magnitude, there's a lot that goes into it. And I'm sure as soon as the uh, Walton Penner group was, you know, I'm, I'm sure all of the groups that came through that building back in May were made aware of, you know, Russell Wilson is our long-term quarterback and this is something that you're going to have to do, you know, once you're, once the owner, it's, it's not like they probably sprung this on them in July. Um, but you know, you got to get the ownership approval, especially when you're giving out what is hundred and oh, I don't have it in front of me, but whatever the massive number of guarantees are. Um, and yeah, it is nice. I mean, around here, well, look, Pat Bolin is revered, right? I mean, he was one of, he was a great owner. He did really good things for this organization and for this city. Um, but not having that kind of main owner for the last almost 10 years now, not quite 10 years. I mean, it has hampered a little bit of their ability to do business and especially those type of massive deals. And uh, the Walton Penner group now, I mean, they're the richest owners in the NFL. I mean, he's got more money than Kroenke. He's got more money than Jerry Jones. He's got more money than David Tepper in Carolina. And uh, yes, there's still a salary cap, but cash is king in the NFL. And the Broncos are now flush with cash that they didn't have before. Lindsay, just going to jump into a couple of teams and get your thoughts ahead of the season at the Titans. Like, bear in mind, they were number one seed last year. Just, just kind of the sense that it's a bit of an unknown out there in terms of what the expectation is. Busy day for them. Derek Henry gets his 
contract, I suppose, refresh, shall we say, and then obviously then they've had a serious ACL injury with one of their leading players on defence. Are you buying into that this is a drop-off potentially with the Colts being much stronger this year? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like a trivia question. Like you could go into a, a bar, right? And be like, who's the number one seed in the AFC last year? And like eight out of 10 people would probably say like the Bills or the Chiefs. And nobody would remember that it was actually the Titans because they were surprising one seed. Um, they won a lot of weird games. You know, Mike Rabel ended up winning coach of the year, which was, you know, mostly because they like, kept it on, kept the train on the tracks when Derrick Henry was hurt. But man, they, what an off season. I mean, no team has probably fallen off as much as they have just, you know, they couldn't keep AJ Brown and um, they didn't really replace AJ Brown with anybody. Substan- I mean, we'll see. I mean, maybe Traylon Burks, but like, it doesn't seem like he's even going to be ready to start week one. Um, yeah. And then the Harold Landry injury, that's significant. I mean, he was their best pass rusher last year. He was kind of on that fringe of like, not in that conversation of like the best pass rushers, but he was kind of in that next tier down where, you know, you could rely on him to get consistent pressure throughout a game and a double digit sack kind of guy. So losing him where they don't have a ton of depth at that position, that's a big deal. I mean, if anything, it really, I mean, I think the Colts were already the favorite in that division and that really, that move, that that injury today, I think really only opens the door even further for Indianapolis in that division. Uh, Lindsay, t- Tennessee was such a surprise number one seed that I know someone on this show might have even forgotten when we were doing our AFC West prediction when he said that the Chiefs were the number one seed because it was so low key. It felt like they were, right? It did, it did. That's my excuse. I mean, they were hosting the AFC Championship game. Again, again. Um, But actually, I want to bring you back a little bit to Russell Wilson in terms of the macro implications. So we were just talking a little bit about what does this mean in other places? And one of the places this impacts and resonates massively is going to be in Baltimore. And the impact for Lamar Jackson, the impact for that team, and the guys were just saying, it's like, you know, oh, and you heard Lou too as well, like John Harbaugh won't want this hanging over in week one. So, you know, what does this mean for Baltimore in terms of the impact? And especially Lamar Jackson, who's probably phoning Russell Wilson right now and saying, mate, it's 165 million guaranteed, but it would have been nicer if being closer up to Deshaun Watson's 230 million guaranteed. Yeah. That would have helped me out a little bit. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting situation because, you know, usually these things happen kind of there's like a regular timing to them. Like you kind of know who's next and, you know, the dominoes fall one by one. And now we've had, you know, Kyler got his his deal done and now Russell. And, you know, I was honestly not even convinced it was going to happen before the start of the season because it was one of those like it's going to happen. So why do you have to rush it? But the fact that they're able to get it done means there's going to be no questions about his contract throughout the duration of the season. It's been really hard to predict what's going on with the Ravens situation and with Lamar Jackson because he's not really ascribing to any of these norms and the typical timeline and the way negotiations go. I think a large part of that is he's representing himself. So there's nobody kind of speaking on his behalf in the media. There's nobody leaking to Adam Schefter about contract proposals and demands. We can really are only left to follow like what he's liking on Twitter and like it's, you know, what he responds to. I mean, it's a very unusual situation, but, uh, but I think we all kind of know what his contract range is going to be um you know i think the ravens will be able to pay for it i you know i don't they're not a cash poor team by any means they're very financially sound you know steve Fiscotti is one of the you know he's not one of the richest owners but he's also not one of the poorest owners i think where this is going to get really interesting is this quarter market quarterback market has exploded is what's going to happen for joe burrow and justin herbert because if we're talking about 
the haves and the have nots in the NFL. And when it comes to cash, uh, the Bengals are not there. The Bengals are not a team that's going to be able to put, you know, the NFL still has these kind of antiquated escrow rules, basically where you have to put, you know, 75 to 80% of guaranteed money into escrow and no problem for Greg Penner and Rob Walton to do that. Not a problem. Not a problem for Stan Kroenke to do that. Not a problem for Jimmy Haslam to do that. That's going to be a problem for the Brown family and probably for the Stamos family to be able to like do that with their quarterbacks that are coming up and if that's going to affect their long-term negotiations. So, you know, I think the agent community is looking at the Russell Wilson deal just like they looked at the Kyler Murray deal and said, not great that those guys weren't getting those fully guaranteed. When they saw the Deshaun deal, they all thought, great, here we go. This is it. This is where the guaranteed contracts come. That's what the union was thinking. And uh, now we have, it's a small sample size, but now we have two massive quarterback contracts since Deshaun Watson that have not come even close to the full guarantees. So um, one, I tweeted this earlier, it like makes it all that more mind boggling what the Browns did. I mean, they felt that they had to do that to get him, but the fact that they did it and under the cer- those circumstances, it just, it feels, it feels real gross. And, you know, I guess it's, it's it, that part's not going away, right? I mean, the, his contract structure is going to live on for a really long time, like very long reaching ramifications there. Absolutely. I, I can't wait to see what's going to happen with Lamar's contract. Um, yeah. and it could be soon for, for all we know. I hope um, it's not a- Holiday weekend, like you were saying, we're about to go into a holiday weekend here. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be signing off tonight, not going to be signing back on until Tuesday morning. So we could not. Well, it's, it's this, this is the last weekend before it all starts. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's yeah, why the I timing mean. made so much sense for Russell Wilson. And, you know, they might, you know, sometimes teams set kind of these artificial deadlines where it's like, if the deal's not done by week one, we're not doing it. We're negotiations are done, we're cutting it off. Usually that's with more like franchise tag guys going into the last year of their deal. You know, I guess Lamar potentially could be in that situation. Um, but nobody wants this lasting into regular season preparations. Let's see what happens. I hope it doesn't ruin your weekend. Uh, I want to get, if you don't mind, Lindsay, can I get like, and I know you've probably been asked this a lot over the last few weeks. Can you give us a bold prediction? Because we're we we've got an episode uh, next Wednesday where we're going to preview the season, give like MV, MVP picks, Super Bowl picks, sure. predictions. Can you think of something that maybe mm. you haven't said yet that you think could be very bold? Because I know exactly. I know sometimes now you almost feel like you have to go really over the top for a bold prediction. But yeah, I did send in my we're going to have our staff predictions publishing next week, um, and I sent that list in. I still have to write them. I had. I had Nick Bosa as my defensive player of the year, um, who he's a little bit further down on the odds, but I think he like narratively fits a lot of what tends to happen for that award. Like, you know, he's probably in the 15 plus sack range should be one of the very best defenses in the NFL. We'll probably have them in them, you know, have the Niners in some games. Like they'll, if, if they're a good team, their defense is probably going to have to carry them through some, through some games. Um, he hasn't won that award before. You know, we all, all as voters get bored with Aaron Donald, even though like it should be Aaron Donald. But um, so I picked him and then probably my weird one, the one that is like going to blow up in my face and I'll get made fun of all over the internet was I put Mitchell Trubisky for comeback player of the year because the list, and this is probably what I'm going to write when I actually get to sit down to do this. The list of comeback player of the year candidates is pretty grim. Like it's Christian McCaffrey, Jameis Winston, Derrick Henry, 
like Alan Robinson. Like it's not, there's no Joe Burrow. There's no Dak Prescott. There's no, um, you know, Alex Smith. Like there's no real obvious like quarterback coming off of a devastating injury type of situation. Um, I don't, I don't trust that Christian McCaffrey is going to make it through a year hurt. So I was like, Oh, you know, who could, you know, be decent this year. And I don't know if the Steelers will be good. I honestly don't know if Mitchell Trubisky is going to start week one. Mike Tomlin is playing so coy with that decision. But like, if they like, let's say the Steelers, let's say Trubisky is their quarterback and let's say they win eight games he goes from being like a bust backup quarterback can't believe anybody's going to sign this guy to start and he's like a competent starter yeah you know might be worth throwing down like five bucks or something on it i don't i don't know that's my that's my bad bold prediction that is sure to be wrong and will probably get uh make me a joke on the internet. I, I hope nice. for Mike Tomlin's sake, he wins nine games to keep Mike's uh, winning, winning season record going. Yeah. Well, I think he, I think he does have one eight and eight season in there. So you can't say he's never had a, he's only had winning mm -hmm. seasons. Cause there was, a, I think there was one time. He's just never had a season. losing season. So as long as they're, well, I guess, well, yeah, now the math, right. They need, they're going to need to win nine, eight games. Isn't gonna so yeah, yeah, he could, could be the guy who, who ends it for, for Mike Tomlin, but I'm um, glad we have you on the show because there have been incredible divisions on this show in recent weeks, Lindsay. It's it's split the, the two guys at the top of the screen, the the Patriots, and what Bill Belichick is is doing. On one hand, Michael thinks Bill has finally, you know, lost, lost his mind and, and it, it's done. And Mark thinks, but how, how can you possibly question the greatest football mind in the history of anywhere, anything? He can do no wrong, ignore Cam Newton and, and anything else that has gone on. Mark still has Bill as, as the anointed one. Obviously, um, Roger uh, wrote a piece uh, for The Ringer around the shenanigans, uh, shall we say, and... and what, what's your take? Is this bill just toying with, with the media and everything is going to be fine? Or, or like, can things really be fine when Joe Judge and Matt Patricia are involved? Um, I think it's an incredible amount of hubris from Bill Belichick. And I don't think, I think it's right. He is the greatest football coach of all time. He's one of the greatest defensive minds we've ever seen. He had a tremendous amount of success. I still think this is like batshit crazy. I'm sorry. Can I curse on here? I don't know. I mean, I, I can't, I, I, it does not make sense to me in any sense. And they're not like, they're not a team that's really close right now. It's one thing that if you say, okay, we have Tom Brady or like a, a quarterback that's anywhere even close to Tom Brady, or we have an excellent offensive line, or you have the best defense in the NFL. Like maybe you can get away with tinkering somewhere else. But they're doing this with a second-year quarterback who was decent last year. He was the best of a bad rookie class last year. Um, you're doing it with an offensive line that is not good. You're doing it with one of the worst skill position groups of receivers in the NFL. And then you're just going to pass your offense over to two guys who have never actually done it and try to incorporate all these different schemes. That's something that Roger didn't really even get into in this piece. And it's something that um, I think we're going to be exploring with one of the other writers in the near future is like, it's not like they're just taking Josh McDaniel's playbook and just like letting somebody else call the plays. Like they're trying to recreate their, or, you know, reinvent their entire offense. It's, it's insane. Like 
the the Patriots have always when they were when it was the Belichick Brady Patriots, they would always get to these slow starts, right? You know, it'd be like, oh, what's wrong with the Patriots? Or you know, they they lost a game to the Jets early in the season, or whoever it is. And you kind of start to get the panic, and then all of a sudden October hits, and they just crush everybody for the rest of the season. Like they do not have the wiggle room to mess around for the first four games of the season, right? I mean, if they do not know what they're doing and look completely incompetent on offense for the first month of the season, and there's no indication that they're you know, not going to play in the regular season like they did in the pre... They were a disaster in the preseason. Look, preseason games don't matter, but like they were like that every single practice, right? Like this is not like, oh, a fluky preseason game where your third or fourth stringers are getting beat by the Raiders backups. No, this is everybody, your entire offense not functioning. Um, the Bills are going to be really good. If you want to like mess around for four weeks while you try to figure out who's going to be your play caller and what your offense is going to look like, the Bills are going to be four and zero, and you're that's it. There's not even you can't even approach playoff contention. And then what? Like, what do you know about Mac Jones at that point? Are you going to have to blow this thing up? Like, what are you going to set yourself? I, I don't. I, clearly, I have some thoughts about this. I didn't realize I had quite this many thoughts, but um, I, I think it's in, I, I think it's nuts. And another thing that Roger did get into, and I don't know if you guys have show notes or anything, you can link to his piece. Also, like coaching diversity is a really big deal, right? In the NFL and um, fortifying the coaching pipeline. And, you know, we know how much of a struggle it has been for minority coaches, particularly on the offensive side of the ball to, to get into quarterback coaching roles, to get into play calling roles. And Bill Belichick is just handing that job to Matt Patricia. Like what an insult to like all these coaches that are trying to like come up the right way. And, you know, especially minority coaches who are just like trying to get a real shot. If, if the league office people had any like guts right now, they would call Bill Belichick in to be like, what are you doing, man? Like you're, what are you, what are you doing? But I don't think they would actually do that. So those are my thoughts. I had a lot of thoughts. Lindsay, <laughs> Lindsay, I could see Mark as a Patriots fan. I could see his face draining in the past five minutes. <laughs> I mean, maybe it will be fine. Maybe it will be fine. Maybe Matt Patricia is, is the greatest play caller <laughs> this, this side of Kyle, Kyle Shanahan, but I doubt it. <laughs> uh, Lindsay, the, the, or so the Bucks are the overwhelming favorites for the, for the South, but with the exception of that playoff game a couple of years ago, the Saints have had their number for quite a long time. And, this is an interesting time for the Saints. Again, it's a mixed opinion on how successful the Saints will be this year. A lot of people feel that they did a great job last year. They were so close to making the playoffs and they've done re- reasonably well in the offseason in terms of bringing players in. Obviously, there's a new transition to a head coach. Are you are you high in the Saints? Do you think Dennis Allen will learn from his first experience as a head coach and, and do well there? Um, I'm not high on the Saints. I mean, I think they'll be kind of an average an average team. I think their defense is pretty good. I think they've got decent skill position players still kind of keep waiting for that Alvin Kamara suspension to come. That is definitely like a Labor Day weekend news drop that could land at some point. Um, there was a story to the day that they're going to hold off on that one. They weren't going to do anything before the season. So they're, we they're actually waiting, spoke about yeah. it. We spoke about it on our show okay. last week. We felt yeah, it was, I've yeah. been like head down in some other files and yeah. must not have seen that one. We, today, we, we, like, we, we felt that was unusual that they weren't going to make a decision before the season. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I guess they're still waiting to do a little bit more of their investigation. I mean, the dude got arrested at the Pro Bowl. Like, you probably need to speed this along, right? Um, It was literally at the stadium right after the Pro Bowl. They let him play, even though the police were, like, there waiting for him. So, anyways, um, I think any assumption that the Saints are going to be good is just, like, discounting how good of a coach that Sean Payton is. 
he was really good and he had control over everything in that organization. He was, had final say on personnel. You know, he was the architect of the offense. He was the play caller. So while there is consistency, the rest of the staff, and like, you know, I think Pete Carmichael is a, has been a really good offensive coordinator, but he's never been the primary play caller. He's never been the primary scheme designer. Uh, you're pulling out what, you know, arguably a future Hall of Fame head coach and Sean Payton and just assuming that everything will continue on fine without him. And that's just, I think, a little bit too big of an assumption for me to make. I'm not quite there yet. Um, I think Dennis Allen is a really good defensive coordinator. Um, we have no evidence that he's going to be a good head coach. Um, his tenure with the Raiders was not great. A lot of people fail as head coaches of the Raiders because that is a oftentimes a dysfunctional organization. Um, but that's just, it's, it's, it's like a little bit of a leap too far. Like I, it makes sense that the Bucks are the main favorite and by a long shot there, I think, you know, defensively, they've had really good plans for Brady, um, which has frustrated him. But I think over the course of the season, I don't think they'll be able to hang with, uh, hang with the Bucks in that division, I guess is where I come down on it. Uh, Lindsay, I'm not sure if I'm more terrified about your analysis, the Patriots to say that the defense is the bit that's been worrying me more than the offense even. So uh, that's, that's not a good uh, sign necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they were, they were eviscerated by the bills last year uh, in a couple of games and haven't necessarily upgraded. So I'm, I'm just shaking at night holding myself saying it's all going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. And on your point about Sean Payton, we were talking about this on our NFC South uh, review. Remember everybody, Sean Payton, nine and three with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill as the starting quarterbacks. He only failed last year because he had to start Ian Book and people like this and own five were your third and fourth yeah. choice quarterbacks. Um, two other points, Lindsay. Um, of course, on Labor Day, don't worry. At IRE NFL, we'll keep everybody covered. We'll, you know, we'll keep the ringer guys covered. We'll, we'll take care Good of you. Um, and you mentioned about the Steelers, which have gone through a lot of change this offseason. Obviously, Kevin Colbert leaving, uh, Ben Roethlisberger retiring, first ever general manager of the Steelers, and obviously their two-time winning quarterback. But another organization that's gone through a vast amount of change this offseason, probably not for the best, is actually down in Dallas, Good old Jerry Jones and the yeah. Dallas Cowboys. And when we look at the talent that has left uh, Dallas this offseason, it's probably going below the radar just how stripped bare, especially in that middle class of the roster, that team have been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they maybe – I mean, their defense was one of the best surprises in the NFL last year. I mean, this time, 2021, I think we're all talking like, I don't know if their defense is going to be any good. I don't know if Dan Quinn's going to be like the right defensive coordinator. And then they came out and like blew everybody out of the water. Micah Parsons is a generational defensive talent. Um, you know, the Trayvon Diggs had, what, a dozen, almost a dozen interceptions. Like, I'm not sure how replicable that is. He also gave up a lot of really big plays. He was such just like a, you know, a roller coaster of a player. Um but yeah, I mean, they're realizing now the, the pains of what happens when you pay a lot of guys on offense. Like they had a pretty narrow window, right, to win with Dak, Ezekiel Elliott, and Amari Cooper uh, on those like really, really rich deals. And they just couldn't, they couldn't pay in their offensive line. You know, they were paying a lot of money there and they just, that's, it's not sustainable. So if you don't win within that window, then you have to start cutting guys. And right now, I mean, they traded Amari Cooper for way under value, given what other receivers went for uh, later that year, and they didn't really replace him. So they're they're a team that I think 
I want to go through and look exactly like, did they make waiver claims? What does their receiver room look like right now? Because they definitely, um, it's worse than it was before. I mean, they end up paying, they're paying some tight ends. It's just, it's like very curious what their plan is going to be. And uh, if they're going to be such like a run heavy team, how much they're invested in Ezekiel Elliott versus Tony Pollard. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like I'm not, I'm not super excited about them. And when you look at the NFC East, the Eagles seem to be a team that made significant strides. They have more questions about exactly how good their quarterback is. I think we know how good Dallas's quarterback is, but the questions on are the rest of the roster. So which do you feel better about like the deeper roster or the ascending team, the quarterback questions or the guy that it's like, is Dak going to have to carry this entire team on his back or Dak and Micah Parsons? I really like Micah Parsons. I think he's like, he's the real deal, but, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was a lot of, it was a big talent drain this off season and they have to play the bucks, I think Sunday night, week one. So we're going to see right away if offensively they can hang with what should be a really good offense in Tampa. We'll get a very, very quick, quick fire final round here. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. That offense in Tampa, they've had, uh, well, someone's had a nice holiday this summer. Uh, I'll come back to that. Uh, who's getting fired first, Lindsay? Uh, Mike McCarthy or Cliff Kingsbury? Ooh, I mean, Matt Rule probably has to be in that conversation too. If Baker, it, if yeah, Baker, absolutely. If Baker struggles yeah. in Carolina. Um, I don't think it's going to be Cliff. He just got a big old contract extension. They seem very committed to the Cliff, Kyler, Kime trifecta there in Arizona. Um, for whatever, for whatever reason that might be. I'm not sure if that was the right, the right call. Um, but yeah, all three of those guys just got extensions. So we'll see. Um, who are the other one? You said Mike McCarthy. And then who was your other? You came in with the, car, oh, with the Panthers the one as well. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, the thing about well. McCarthy that's interesting is that, like, Jerry Jones is just such a wild card, right? Like, he could, he, you know, he's been very loyal to coaches, which is why Jason Garrett was there forever and ever and ever and ever. But now you got the Sean Payton thing. Sean Payton's just kind of hanging out there, you know. How long do you kind of hang out in mediocrity? You got Dan Quinn on your, you know, on your staff. You have some logical, you know, Kellen Moore is an up and coming head coach. So like you have guys on your staff that could conceivably slide right in. So, uh, you know, it would make sense to me if it was McCarthy, if they struggle a lot early in the season, like there's no real excuses left. Right. I mean, for him, um, but it's just, would Jerry actually make that sort of move mid-season. It's not something that he's really done in the past. Um, unless Sean Payton's ready to slide right in. Which maybe he is. I, I would love to see those two egos under one roof. That would be quite, quite Ooh. something. Um, Lindsay, really, really great piece yesterday from Stephen Ruiz around Justin Herbert. Even though I am a Broncos fan, Herbert is just, he's, he's ridiculous. And even though he, yeah. uh, he'll, he'll be there with the Chargers, hopefully for a decade or more, and he'll probably ruin uh, many late nights for me. Um, he is a wonderful QB. Chargers obviously put a lot of talent around him this year, but this is a team who threw away the 2006 AFC Championship game, who in 2010, number one offense, number one defense, and somehow um, threw it away. I, rem I remember um, Philip Rivers fumbling on a kneel down against the Chiefs to lose a game. The Chargers find a way to beat themselves time and time and time again. 
is this the season where they put that behind behind them? Yeah, we'll see, right? I mean, like how much of that is like just like baked into a franchise? I mean, it's lasted through quarterbacks, through many head coaches, through cities now, right? I mean, like they completely like picked up and moved and these like chargers gonna charger, like that stuff is still there. Yeah, and it's a lot of the things that you mentioned, it's consistent problems on special teams. It's weird results in, in close games. I mean, but the way that they, I mean, they literally needed like a third down stop uh, in week 18 last year to get into the playoffs and they couldn't do it. Um, needed just a tie to get in or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, you want to think when you have a generational talent at quarterback and you've got the talent on defense that they wanted, you know, now Brandon Staley kind of like has his handpicked players. You know, he was trying to run his defense last year with, guys that he didn't really want, especially in the front seven um, outside of Joey Bosa. And it just didn't really work. But now he's gotten to kind of handpick his defensive tackles and trade for Khalil Mack. And they've got Derwin James under contract. They've got a corner and JC Jackson that they can conceivably play man coverage with if they want to. So you got to think at some point, you know, at some point they've got to just kind of break that, break that curse. And, you know, to me, I see them as the closest team, like or the team that's ready to knock off the Chiefs more so than the Broncos or the Raiders, just in terms of like where they're at in their, their program building. Um, and most of that is just because Justin Herbert is that freaking good. I mean, I way overdrafted him in a fantasy league earlier this week and I got a couple texts I was like whoa that was a surprise I'm like I don't care I love him he's gonna throw 5,000 yards and I'll be fine with it like I don't care that I took him in the second round it's fine um so yeah I mean I just I don't know I don't know how you break that curse like do they need to send an exorcist or like a medium in and um try to exorcise literally exercise the demons that are going on uh inside their got all of their buildings send it back to Qualcomm even in San Diego I guess and India, another team that probably feels they've been dealing with demons for a long time is the Lions. Uh, we we were fortunate this evening, me and Colin, to speak to one of the special teams players, and he was he was raving about the influence in which Dan Campbell is having on the team. And there's a lot of people that feel that they're they're on their the right track in terms of Dan Campbell. Obviously, it's been quite evident in terms of anybody who's taken time out to watch hard knocks over the past three to four weeks. Um, his influence is certainly growing on the team, and a lot of people feel they're. Maybe not this year, but potentially in a couple of years' time, a year or two, maybe away from being a team that can really challenge. What's your thoughts on the Lions? Yeah, I mean, like, like if it's if they're doing a complete rebuild, and that's clearly what they've done. That's we we saw the first steps of that last year. That's where that's why you trade away Matthew Stafford and you accumulate a lot of picks. You know that this is kind of the right way to do it. I mean, the way that their season. Like it was painful for Lions fans, and I got friends who are Lions fans, and the text chains are all really funny on Sundays as they melt down. Um, but like, there was progress, right? I mean, like they were competitive, they were in most of the games, they were interesting to watch. But then you were bad enough that you could still get the number two pick, and you're at the top, you know, nearly at the top of the waiver claim, and all that kind of stuff. The problem is, is like their roster just still isn't that good. Like they've got some really nice young pieces. Like Penny Sewell is going to be a cornerstone tackle for them. I think Aiden Hutchinson is going to be great. Um, you know, I'm on St. Ray, like wrong, Ray, Ray, I always get it wrong. Like, I think he's decent, DeAndre Swift. Like, I mean, there's some promising young players, but I just think like top to bottom, their roster is still just not quite ready to compete with even the mid-tier teams in the NFL. And, you know, there have been these glowing reports about Jared Goff through training camp. 
looks really comfortable. He's throwing the ball downfield. He's like being a good leader and all this kind of stuff. Um, I haven't been watching as much Hard Knocks as I should. I guess he hasn't really been on it, right? Like he hasn't been like a featured. No, like he's, he been, on- he's been quite quiet on it. And- and it's probably because he's been on it two other times. Like who wants to watch more Jared Goff at this point? Probably not even Jared Goff's parents, but. Um, There's a narrative from Lions fans that last year they lost their center for the season and they lost their left tackle for 14 games and they're both back and fully healthy and Goff is getting all the time in camp and obviously in the, in the limited action we've seen of them in preseason to be effective and make the team. Yeah, and they might be, games. yeah, I mean, maybe like, so like, what is their ceiling? Seven wins, right? Like that's progress. And then you go and get your quarterback next year. Like, I think you still have some decent draft capital. You could package some stuff, some picks together if you need to move up. And that seems to be their plan. You know, it's, it's hard to imagine that they would be a real serious contender to trade for whoever next year's version of Stafford or Russell Wilson is going to be if, if guys have a say in determining where they go. Um, but, like, they, they could put themselves in a position where quarterbacks would want to play there or they could move up to get it's going to be a strong quarterback class next year that's the extent of my draft analysis don't ask me to do anymore um i know it's going to be a stronger class than it was this year so those teams that are going to be searching for quarterbacks in the draft will be in a much better position this year than say the steelers and company were that we're looking for this year uh, Lindsay, we started off talking about a quarterback and a particular deal that's just closed today. I, I feel that we should talk about a quarterback who has still has twice as many Super Bowl rings as Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees or Russell Wilson. Uh, it is indeed Jimmy GQ. And I'm wondering about your thoughts on that deal. I mean, is this just the, the NFL epitome of just staying together for the sake of the kids? That it's kind of suits the 49ers, suits Jimmy? They just can't quit each yeah. other. Yeah, I mean, it's a. I guess it's like a sweet deal for him if he can get over just like the awkwardness of having lost his job. Like if he's like cool and just is okay with that. I mean, the the landscape made it pretty clear that there wasn't going to be another spot for him. That the Seahawks were never really that interested, and in, you know, Cleveland. It just wasn't you know whatever this is. Maybe if it had been a year long suspension in Cleveland, maybe that would have become a more realistic type of option. Um, but like, given his shoulder issues that this was kind of like he's going to get paid he doesn't have to move he didn't have to do a single workout in training camp like he didn't you know he did his own workouts i think he was like you know running or doing some cardio on his own or whatever but like i guess it's not terrible and then maybe you have the chance to go in and play the hero when trey lance struggles or gets hurt and you know it were i just i don't i don't know like it the awkward factor for me is just pretty high of like you know, this was Jimmy's team and now it's Trey's team, but Jimmy's still hanging around, you know, it's not just like, I'm not sure if like staying together for the sake of the kid, splitting up, you've got your new spouse in the house, but like your ex still lives in the basement to like, it's, it's weird. It's just awkward and weird. <laughs> and maybe he's fine with awkward. Like maybe he's okay. Just like he's cool enough and his buddies are fine and they don't mind but i i think it's awkward let's see what happens with him and trey can't wait to see what's going to happen there Lindsay, you've been extremely generous for your time i know how busy this week is just trying to get ready for next week so 
Thank you so much for your time. At, uh, at by Lindsay H. Jones, we'll definitely get you a coffee or a pint in Arizona if we see you. And uh, Yes, hopefully I will be there. Yeah, my, my job has changed a little bit, but I imagine um, we'll be doing all our pods live, but radio rest, so I look awesome. forward to seeing you guys there.